Good morning, everybody. My name is Reese. I'm one of the elders here at church, at Grace Fellowship Church, and uh, I want to welcome you this morning. We are two days away from Christmas, so this is our, since we gather here on Sunday mornings, this is our Christmas celebration as we gather here together, and that is on our hearts and our minds. Uh, so thank you for coming here this morning, and if you're a visitor, I want to extend a, a special warm welcome. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. If you look on your handout, you can see there is a title for our message this morning. It is Angels and Shepherds, the Marvelous and Mundane of Jesus' Birth. Now, you might look at that and may wonder, why is that word mundane in there? And so I just wanted to explain it for a second. The, the definition, one of the definitions I'll be using for mundane is in the sense of ordinary, also in the sense of worldly, as opposed to heavenly. And this, this is very good to describe part of Jesus' birth, so bear that in mind as we, we go there. We're going to be reading uh, a good chunk of Luke chapter 2 this morning. Uh, the children did an amazing job reciting verses 1 through 20. I will read it again, so we can't get enough of God's word, but we're going to go all the way to verse 40. So if you want to open your Bible and look at it, it should also be up on the screen. Uh, before I start reading, though, I want to give you a little bit of background as we, as we head into chapter 2. Mary and Joseph are uh, engaged. They're not fully married yet. Mary is pregnant, though, so there's a little bit of awkwardness. Not by Joseph, but conceived... Uh, Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and they are a three-day journey to Bethlehem, which is where they're going to be in this story. They're from Nazareth, so three days away. So as I read this story here, notice all that God orchestrates that he does in this unexpected story of the, the marvelous and the mundane. Let's read Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a, decrees went out, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, to which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth, birth to a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region where there, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they had been no, made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, to, mother his, to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when, when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. If you look at your outline, we are going to cover this text in three points. Marvelous birth, mundane birth, and missional birth. Let's start with the marvelous birth. In verse 1 of this chapter, it starts by an action taken by the, the, the big ruler at that time, the ruler of the Roman Empire, Caesar himself, and he requires a census. And that sets into motion this whole story. And so Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, and in verse 6 it says, while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born. So verse 7, the baby's born, and um, the baby needs a place to be put, but there's no room for Jesus. It says there's no place for them in the inn. That could also be translated guest room. So we're not exactly sure. There's some controversy there. But we'll put that aside and just focus on the point that Jesus had to be put in a manger with where the animals feed. That's a feeding trough for animals. And so while this is happening, angels show up to shepherds who are in a field nearby at nighttime. And it says they tell him of or the angel tells these men, 
presumably they're men, shepherds, tells them that David, in the city of David, a savior is born. And they're going to have a sign so that they know this is true. They're going to find this baby, this newborn, that's wrapped like a newborn is, in a manger. So, the reason, part of the reason why I wanted to read this whole chunk is to give us a sense surrounding this birth. What follows after Jesus is born is a series of interactions with people when they interact with this baby Jesus and talk about him in profound and majestic and very certain ways. So three particular ones in this story are the shepherds, we have Simeon, and we have Anna. So what does Luke, who is the author here, mean by telling us of these stories surrounding Jesus' birth? Well, one of the things that he wants us and his audience to realize is that Jesus' birth, his arrival, his welcome to the world is not like any others that has ever been. Jesus alone is so uniquely spoken of multiple times, even before and after his birth, as the one the one who will save people from their sin. You know, when we have uh, babies in our normal life and there's a birth announcement, what do we say? It's a boy. It's a girl. They weighed this much. Congratulate God with us and we say the name. Maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe we post on Facebook and tell people. Maybe we send out cards. What was Jesus' birth announcement? We don't know his weight. His name even comes later on. But to an entire world, this birth announcement is different. It is announced to everyone. We have a Savior. He is here. He was spoken about, and He is now here. The promises of God are coming true. Even notice in verse 33, Mary and Joseph, their response says his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They marveled at this newborn. What was so marvelous about the birth of Jesus? I have three things that I want to draw your attention to. First is that the promises come true. Now there are about a zillion promises talking about the birth of the Messiah and his purpose and mission and so forth. So I'm only going to cover a couple. Um, but some important ones for Luke chapter 2 is Micah 5.2. You might be familiar with if you're familiar with the Bible. This was written about 700 years before Jesus. And in Micah 2, it says, As for you, Bethlehem, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, for you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, one whose origins are in the distant past. And the Jews knew this and understood this to mean that the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. Which, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus being the bread of life. There's, there's so much. In Luke chapter 1 and 69, the husband of Mary's relative, his name was Zechariah, he was uh, prophesying and he says... In Luke 1, 69, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's talking about Jesus. 
who is going to be this salvation. And in here in Luke 2, verse 32, when uh, Simeon is talking about Jesus, he says that he is going to be a salvation and a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, you know we've been going through a series of Isaiah, if you've been around here, and you know Isaiah had to come up somewhere. And here's one place that it comes up. Simeon is relating back to Isaiah 49.6 and maybe a couple other places in Isaiah. But Isaiah 49.6 says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then finally, a a small but very significant uh, promise that's kept is with the shepherds. So they're told that the sign of the Messiah is going to be a baby in a manger which I was thinking about that, thinking about the sign of them being told about the sign is actually more of a sign than the sign. If that makes sense, think about it. But what does the author highlight in verses 17 and uh, 18 and 20? He highlights repeatedly that what amazed these guys is that what the angel said to them was actually true. They went and investigated and it came true. It was told to them. They saw as it had been told to them. So these promises ahead of Jesus' birth are coming true. Secondly, what makes his birth so marvelous is that heavenly beings are active and heaven is stirred at the birth of the Savior. We didn't read Luke 1. We read most of Luke 2. There are a lot of angels in these two chapters. Angels from heaven are actively involved around Jesus' birth. They tell Mary to name him Jesus, which comes into fulfillment in verse 21 of this chapter. We also see heaven, uh, the Lord involved in Simeon's life in verse 26. The Holy Spirit reveals to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah and prompts him to go to the temple. There is great fanfare in heaven coming to earth for the King of Kings, Heaven is stirred and is active. And then thirdly, what makes his birth so marvelous? Is that his identity is clear. His identity is clear. Now think about this. When you have a baby or you've seen a newborn, are the parents describing the character of this baby? No. I mean, they they might know the name of the baby and they might have a meaning associated with that name, but they're not calling the future character of this baby because you don't know. But that's not like Jesus. With his marvelous birth, Scripture is clear about his character even as a newborn. Look at verse 11. When the angel announces, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There are three attributes there. First, he is the Savior. Second, he is Christ, which is the Messiah, the the anointed Holy One who is to come and save God's people. And then thirdly, he is the Lord himself. Those three things. And those three things get emphasized in this chapter several times. This is his identity. He is... is, uh, Uh, It's reinforced by a couple of things here. Verse 21, when he is named Jesus. Do you guys know what Jesus means? 
His name means the Lord saves. And I was just thinking about this. Think about it. Every time someone interacted with him, they had to say that. You know, we're not used to names being uh, meaning things here in our culture. But every time you know, we say Jesus, they would say, hey, the Lord saves. Hey, Lord saves, I have a question for you. Hey, Lord saves, can you help me? His name means the Lord saves. This is his identity. Also in verse 30, Simeon, if you look down. He calls him a noun. He doesn't say baby. He says, now my eyes have seen salvation. Because he is salvation. That's who he is. That's part of his identity, his character. So his name lines up. The observations line up of who he is. Simeon also goes on to say that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And he goes on to say in 35 that, that this, this baby who is going to come and grow up is going to reveal the secret hearts of men. This is very unusual to speak about a baby this way. This is who he is. He is the Lord himself and, and, and will cause these things and have this ability. And even Anna, in verse 38, when she speaks about Jesus, it says, when she gave thanks to God and began to speak of, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Jesus is going to be this one who is going to redeem a city, a people, and ultimately the world. This is the marvelous birth of Jesus as his identity is clear. So the promises are coming true, heaven itself is stirred, and his identity is clear. Let's consider our response to some of these things. You know, as we consider our response today, we are rightly to respond as Mary and Joseph, to marvel at these things said about Jesus. You know, this is a historical event in history. This is not a made-up story. This is a real thing that happened. God came to earth, and, and we are right to marvel. Wow! This is incredible. This is amazing. God came to earth in a weak state to be like us. Appreciate Jesus' birth and marvel for what it is. And be wary of the temptation to underappreciate it and get distracted by trinkets and gadgets and everything else. Appreciate for what it is. God has come to earth. Again, Jesus is uniquely spoken about as the one who is the Messiah, promised one who is now here to save people from their sin. This is his marvelous birth. Now let's talk about his mundane birth. You know, after we've seen all of these uh, marvelous and extraordinary things, events surrounding Jesus' birth, we can talk about the ordinary, the earthly, the things that are not of heaven, the things of earth the mundane parts. And if, if it's ordinary and it's things that we're kind of used to, why should we even talk about this or spend a lot of time on it this morning in a sermon? Well, it's because we're talking about Jesus and the things that are ordinary for us 
are extraordinary because they're being applied to him. Why in his holiness and his majesty would he become like us? Yet he does. His humility and his association with earth come out clearly as we can consider his mundane birth and these events that surround it. Let's make some observations here. First one is, is, a, is an obvious one. He comes as a baby. And I want to point that out. He could have come in a number of different ways. On clouds from heaven with power and fanfare. But he comes as all humans do. Every single person that's ever been born has come into the world the same way. And that's how Jesus did it too. Well, I guess except for Adam and Eve. But everyone else. And so Jesus' full humanity shines through here in this story as he comes as a baby. And as we read this story here, there's a lot going on, but, but uh, consider this, that with the actual birth of Jesus here, there's not a whole lot said. And, and so every indication is that it's just pretty normal. A mother is pregnant and has a baby. I mean, it's a little odd that they're, they're, Jesus is born on the road, and that's, that's inconvenient. They're not at home. But a couple goes on a trip and has a baby. Jesus is, uh, even though he is king of kings, his birth is not reflected as if his parents were, were kings or of stately form because those who are rich and stately, their children have great accommodations, great food, great clothes. Yet verse 7 tells us that when Jesus is born... Wherever they were staying, there was not enough room for Jesus. And so Luke makes the point to say that Jesus the Messiah was placed in an animal feeding trough, a manger. So he doesn't come on clouds. He comes as a baby. And the birth announcement is amazing. Who does it go to? It goes to a couple of people, assuming there's not thousands of shepherds. It goes to a few people watching their sheep at night in a field. At night and in a field. Why didn't the announcement come in front of Caesar when he's, he's ruling over the Senate? Show your power. That's what I would expect. But Jesus comes in humility, and you see it here in this announcement to the shepherds. Another part of his, of his, of his earthliness, his mundaneness, his, his like-us-ness is, is, is in the story here where the parents follow the normal Jewish customs and, and follow the law in their treatment of baby Jesus. So he's circumcised, like the law says, and he's given a name. He's given a regular name. Joshua is a very common name. I'm sorry, his name means Joshua. We say Jesus, but it's a Latin, from Greek to Latin and history, we call him Jesus. But his real name is Yeshua, which is translated Joshua. So the same name, a very common name. He's also, in verses 22 to 24, uh, treated... As a firstborn male, according to the law, that's what his parents do. They make sacrifices, 
they um, present him to the Lord. And then look at verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. So very normal treatment of a baby boy, firstborn baby boy in Israel. They did not take him to the HQ of the temple office and say, here's the Messiah, you may bow down now, and we will help you, you know, raise this Messiah so you would know what to do. There's none of that, that, that he, he's treated very normally. And even the last verse, what verse is that? Verse uh, 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Very human and normal, mundane. They even go to what some say is the backwood town of Nazareth, away from the big city. So what's the overall message here? Just as it may be tempting to underappreciate the marvelousness of Jesus' birth, it's also tempting to underappreciate the mundaneness of his birth. And, And personally, I'm more impacted, I would say, by the mundaneness, by that contrast of who he is and how he comes. Because I expect when the king of kings to come, that he would go to that Roman Senate, that he would make his presence known more and in powerful and glorious ways, that there would be a really nice crib, that there would be a big room for him to sleep in, etc. But what I don't expect is him to come and define humility for us. He gives up privilege and majesty and so much more that we can't comprehend in order to become like us. If you're familiar with Hebrews 4.15, it summarizes this. It's, it's speaking of Jesus, and it says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus has this, this marvelous, this mixture of marvelousness and mundaneness that he can identify with us in every way, yet without sin. And so he's enabled that we can relate to him and he can be our savior. And this, this mixture of marvelousness and mundane, I, I see it very clearly here in the story with the angels and the shepherds. Again, go back to uh, verse 11. When the angel announces, he says, the Messiah that only applies to one person. It says, the Lord, there's only one God. What about him? He is born as a baby. And what is the sign? What is the sign of this wonderful news? He's a newborn in a manger. And that's it. Again, the heavenly armies appear in glory. And it says the glory surrounds these shepherds to tell a few people at night in a field. The Lord is here and you'll find him as a helpless baby in an animal feeding trough. What is God doing? What is he doing? Again, as we consider application, there's two things I want you to to ponder The first is to image Jesus' humility. 
image Jesus' humility. One of the things I'm impacted by here is to consider the gap from high to low that Jesus goes through. He goes from heaven to earth as a baby, from heaven to a manger. And this is so vast in comparison to, as I think about this, the perceived gap that I have to go through from wherever I'm at to wherever I need to be to help and love someone else. That gap seems so large and is is a barrier many of the times. Particularly as a father, I'm tempted not to cross that gap to minister well to my own children. You know, I don't want to be bothered by an interruption or an inconvenience. And it's too easy to say when something comes up that I need to either help them with or address, it's too easy to say, I'm busy, I'm doing my, my, my dad thing, my own thing, my adult thing, and I'm too busy for you. Go obey and do what you're supposed to do. It's not, many times, unfortunately, very sadly, the response of, let me pause, give up what I'm doing to come to your level and and get down and look at you eye to eye and understand how you're doing, how you're feeling, and how can I help you? I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't treat me that way and doesn't treat us like we treat other people. What might that gap look like for you? I think we all need to pray, Lord, help me to follow in your footsteps, to traverse that barrier or that gap, traverse through it. Because Jesus came from heaven to earth to save. He came from majesty to a manger to serve. And when Jesus calls his followers to follow him, we need to remember how he even came into the world in the first place. No gap from high to low will ever come close No one that we will ever face will ever come close to what Jesus did. And so to image his humility. Second application is to marvel more. You know, consider this story from uh, Mary and Joseph's perspective. As I was doing that, I, I would bet that it's pretty reasonable to assume that they could be tempted to complain. There's been several inconveniences here in this story. I'll just name two of them. Imagine that they could say, there's a baby coming. Oh, great. There's a a census now, and I have to take my pregnant wife all the way to that other town. God, what are you doing? Or when Jesus is born. Oh, there's no room? Come on. Babies are small. We don't need that much room. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? It's so tempting, right, to, if you were in their shoes, to say those kinds of things. But what was God up to? He was up to the most marvelous of marvelous plans that there ever was, the saving of the whole world. That was part of the plan, all of that stuff. He is in control and working it out. So, Perhaps, as you consider your circumstances today, wherever God has you, maybe you're tempted to complain. Maybe you're tempted to ask why. Why me? And not, not saying asking those questions are necessarily bad. But remember 
this Christmas story and how God worked everything out for the redemption of the whole world in the midst of perhaps some confusing circumstances. In the midst of whatever you're going through, I want to encourage you to marvel. Take a moment to marvel. What might God be up to? What might he be doing? And trust in his character. He is doing a grand and marvelous work in and through the mundane. So Jesus' mundane birth also shows us his awesome humility and his identity with us. And then finally, our third point, Jesus' missional birth. Verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. He's saying this not only because it's the character of Jesus, but also it's because it's the mission of Jesus. A Savior has been born, but he has yet to live his life and die on the cross. Verse 30 again, Simeon calls him salvation, a noun, but he has yet to fulfill it at this point, even though that is who he is. What do these observations mean? If you were here last week, we saw that Jesus was on point in his mission and did not waver in seeing it through. And, and he even arranged all these various pieces of the puzzle to come together so that he would be ensured to fulfill scripture and end up on the cross. He came to show the world who God is, his character, what it means to know him, what it means to follow him, and ultimately to take the punishment we deserve for our sin to make peace with God. That's why Jesus came. And from day one here, Jesus lived a life of sacrifice and humility for mankind. Consider this quote from William Barclay, a Bible commentator, as he ponders verse 7, where it talks about there not being room for Jesus. He says this, The only place where there was room for Jesus was on a cross. The only place there was room for Jesus was on a cross. The marvelous and the mundane begin here and carry on to completion as Jesus is on the cross, exactly as planned. And the Gospel of John records Jesus' last words. Do you know what his last words were? It is finished. That means the plan was finished. Mission accomplished. Salvation won. See, Christmas, two days away, is all about the gift of Jesus. It is all about the fulfilled mission of Jesus to save sinners. Jesus came into this messy world in humility to save those who were very unlike himself. And from birth to death, Jesus spent his life with people like you and me. People who have made bad choices in life, who've carried shame and baggage, who've been addicted to things and can't break certain patterns, 
criminals, lawbreakers, and even betrayers he was among. And he died for them. He died for you and me. And if you follow Jesus and receive his forgiveness for your sins, you have this peace that the angels spoke about. You have the joy, the great joy, that's for all the people. So rejoice with the angels and shepherds this day in the completed mission of Jesus as a newborn. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you to investigate him, read his word, and choose to follow him with your life. His mission is complete. There's no doubt about that. But the benefits to receive of that mission only come when you receive the gift that he gives and you give your life to him. His birth was a missional birth. It was on purpose to complete the mission of salvation. And he has done that. And this is the reason we celebrate Christmas. To glory all be to God. Let's, let us pray. And as we do, I'll call the uh, worship team up. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We underappreciate your majesty. We underappreciate your humility. We underappreciate the salvation that you brought to us. Forgive us. Lord, I pray that each one of our hearts, that we would rejoice in the greatness of who you are and what you've done for us. May the world know, may the world uh, see what you've done, and may the world see and know what you've done through us. Enable us to be lights, perhaps lights this week to, uh, to friends and family members as we're, we're spending time with others uh, over Christmas. And help us to see Jesus ever more clearly day by day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for coming as a baby. Thank you for identifying with us in every way, yet without sin. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.